Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hola. And today we are talking the Cthulhu Companion, a product for second edition slash first edition Call of Cthulhu from way back in 1983. Yes. Yes. Ghastly Adventures in your right lore. Yeah, we'll be uh, breaking this into two parts. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the supplemental material in this episode. And then next episode, we'll be talking about the scenarios contained within, including the old classic Paper Chase. Yeah, Paper Chase, which every a beloved classic. Mm -hmm. uh, so beloved that it will be released in the starter set for Call of Cthulhu. Yes, and coming out it, made, it made it to that app. Oh, it did. Yeah, uh, Cthulhu Chronicles. It's one of the. Yep. Uh, it was uh, part of the Cthulhu Chronicles app. Mm -hmm. We talked about. So, if you haven't picked that up yet and you want to check it out, go for it. Tell us a little bit about this book, Steve. Uh, well, that's what it looks like. No, no one can see it because this is private. It's kind of um, blue. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, basically, it looks like. A lot of this stuff um, is material that people had written in. And uh, we were talking to and published in what, uh, Different Worlds, which was the Chaosium House magazine, much akin to Dragon or um, Dungeon or the Space Gamer, mm -hmm. Steve Jackson Games or White Dwarf over in, um, in Europe or in Britain. Yeah, Games Workshops magazine, I believe it is. Yeah. White Dwarf. So, so uh, Different Worlds was Chaosium's, and talking to an anonymous source at Chaosium <laughs> uh, last <laughs> night. Wow. Kind of hinted, I know we have the inside information, that uh, there was a lot of material once Call of Cthulhu came out. A lot of people started just randomly writing uh, mm -hmm. material for it and sending it in. And some of it got published in, in the pages of of uh, different worlds, and some of it made it into the Cthulhu Companion. Mm -hmm. um, so you have stuff like that, a couple of essays. Um, you have Sandy Peterson. I guess this came out around the same time that the second edition had dropped. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it has some um, errata for uh, conversion to second edition from first edition which is kind of nice of them. They didn't have to do that. Um, you get the the first appearance of the uh, and magic points. Mm -hmm. uh, you get uh, the charisma turns to appearance. Right? Yes. Yes, charisma is re replaced with app. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new everyone's school. favorite dump stat. Yep. Uh, there is photography is, a, is a new knowledge skill. And, um, there's a, a revised system for learning spells. Um, and that I think is the current one they use today or a modification of this is the current one. Mm. So that, that's us. Sandy's input. I think. I think that was Sandy Peterson did the introduction. And then we get to the essays. So there's um, two of them. Mm -hmm. The first is the Cthulhu mythos in Mesoamerican religion. And the second is further notes on the Necronomicon. Both right, kind of flavor for your Call of Cthulhu campaign. Now, these are, these are uh, in-universe style essays. Yeah, or, or at least the second one seems to be an in-universe style essay. Cthulhu Mythos in I can't I can't really tell about the the style that one's written in. That look, I'll tell you, it is kind of in the style of one of um, uh, Robert Price's introduction to the cycle stories for Chaosium. It's a uh, it's it's written to be. Uh, semi-academic. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it uses like real 
well, it, well it uses a very loose term. Uh, it's site sources, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, it kind of bends the data to fit the hypothesis is the nice way of putting it. Right. <laughs> it's it's um, very unscientific, even for social sciences. Mm -hmm. And and in bending the uh, in bending the data to fit the hypothesis, it it falls into a very uh, common and rather distasteful trap that you find in uh, mythos fiction across the board, and that is that um, the religions of ancient peoples are all at heart the based on the mythos. Yeah. I actually have a really huge problem with this. Um, I don't mind having like corrupt parts of ancient peoples who worshipped um, the mythos like your degenerate Eskimos, quote unquote. There's problems with that, but I mean, that's still kind of understandable because then you still keep the integrity of um, ancient people's beliefs. Because mm -hmm. uh, let's face it, that's their religion. That's what they believed in. That's like, it, it's the equivalent of walking up to somebody and saying, oh yeah, Jesus was not a tap. He's not? <laughs> Very well could be. Um, but but th that's what it is. That's what, it, and that's what this essay does. It takes um, uh, Mesoamerican deities such as uh, Quetzalcoatl, and the other big one uh, was uh, Talakin. Yeah, and equates them to Cthulhu. And um, Yig, Yig is supposed to be Quetzalcoatl. There's all this stuff that, A, I don't think Lovecraft ever intended. Mm -hmm. um, and B, really just like, just insults is the wrong word. Um, but it... it it is. It's an insult. It's a. It's a slap in the face of these people. It's like ancient aliens or whatever. Like whatever they did, is invalid without um, the addition of the mythos or aliens or whatever. Right. Right. Um, when we call it Cthulhu, the game, I think, can lend itself to this. I think if you're if you're not careful as a writer of um, scenarios or as a keeper, um, it's a very easy trap to fall into because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. um, and we all love convenience. I think there's a fine line to be walked where you can have this mystery of, um, you know, well, this group of um, Mayans was... Um, <clears throat> was secretly worshiping Cthulhu or Yig. Um, but this is like the lost city um, that remains lost. And, you know, maybe like a group of archaeologists stumble onto it, but mm. not Chits not Chitza fucking Itza. Right. right, right. <laughs> or, or it's not even really Mayans. It's, it's some type of uh, throwback to Hyborian age or something like that, where, you know, there's enough cultural similarity that, oh, it's a step pyramid must be Mayan or must be Incan or, you know, it has this, but it's really a civilization that was dead long before that. Right. And, but yeah, it does do the across the board, you know, all of these ancient peoples, you know, worship Cthulhu by this name or they worship Yig by this name. And you know all of the major, all of the major deities get a shout out, right? And and it's funny because now we're not talking about um, a religion of peace when we talk about like Mayan or Aztec religion. I mean, these people had human sacrifices, rivers of blood, and we don't know how much of that is embellishment by the Spanish and the Portuguese. But I mean, it it wasn't um, it it wasn't like 
a peaceable religion, but it was their religion. So, and we don't have to um, make it evil. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. We get enough of that without adding the mythos into it. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because when you look, when you read um, something like the text for Akhtung Cthulhu, mm -hmm. um, where it, it very specifically says, like, the Nazis were evil in and of themselves. And you don't need to have the mythos as an excuse for their atrocities. It's another thing altogether that the mythos is there. It's not... Cthulhu working with the Germans to kill Jews. It's not that. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's it's clearly, it's very possible to play these games without having to go there. Right. Um, for example, uh, when we played Master of Narlathotep, Master of Narlathotep is very notoriously, like the original, uh, very notoriously commits this sin where you have every... Um, Every cult, except for in England, um, and it is brown people. Mm -hmm. And they're all colonies of England. I mean, it's very, um, you know, <laughs> it lends itself to an out, but it's the out isn't there while, as written. So you have all these indigenous peoples, all these um, like primitive-ish peoples, um, non-white, non non-Christian worshiping Nyarlathotep in his many forms, in its many forms. Mm -hmm. um, when we ran it, I tried to make it be a sort of um, rebellion against colonization because everywhere you went, it was Egypt, Kenya, Australia, and, uh, and China. It was all part of um, English colonization and or empire building. So, uh, I tried to use that that resentment that that um, indigenous peoples would feel, and and have them. Oh, how can we get back at them? Oh, well, just worship the bloody tongue or um, the black pharaoh. But it, but these were were um, the exceptions of people. These weren't like your normal everyday Joe six pack Kenyan. Right. Right. So, it, it and like I said, it's a fine line, but it is a pet peeve of mine um, to belittle uh, in people's non-Christian, non-white peoples by like saying the religion meant nothing; it's just the mythos in another form, mm -hmm. or anything in another form, ancient aliens or whatever. Right, right, right. It's always, it's always, you know, they they couldn't have done this by themselves; they had to have outside help. Right, because they didn't have. White man know-how. That's right. So everybody, every, everything but Stonehenge was built by aliens. Right. Stonehenge was built by what? Uh, druids. Oh, all right. Well, druids are aliens anyway. Uh, I guess. <laughs> now, that being said, there is some lovely art in this section, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's very, very classic black and white line art that you see in all sorts of... In the 80s. Um, it's very 80s. Yeah, very 80s, but still very nice. Uh, the statue of the goddess Kodalik, which is really cool. Um, that, that's on page 29. Um, is really cool because the way Kodalik is represented, um, and I looked this up online, is there are two snake heads that meet. Mm -hmm. And that forms her face. So it's like two snake heads in profile form the entire face? Yes nice so i mean it's i mean it's really really cool um if you could take all of the um the mythos shit out of here it's a nice little primer on some of the deities of, of mexico mm -hmm. or at least at least a, a where a, a direction to go to do some good research or, you know, if anything, it's really, really good for setting the stage of mm -hmm. if, if you wanted to have um, set a scenario, you know, in Guatemala or Mexico or something, oh, yeah. uh, you know, they deep in, in the rainforest or <coughs> Peru or Peru. Yeah. 
We're looking at you. Uh, you actually, Peru is actually South America, and right, Mexico South. is is a different continent mm-hmm. altogether. Yes. Which uh, that that, now, that confusion that gets a shout out. Not not that there isn't um, cultural exchange, but Peru is pretty fucking far away from Mexico. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean that's like you know Canada having the same culture as Louisiana. Both French, both influenced by the French, but very fucking different. Well, of course. That's because Louisiana's Caribbean. Well, at least my part of it is. Pretty fucking far away from Canada. That's my point. Yay. (laughs) And Christ, they even speak the same language. I don't think that the Mayans and the Peruvians spoke the same language, so... Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Right. And which brings us to the second essay, uh, further notes on the Necronomicon. And it's kind of more of the same. Yeah. This one is so the first one was like supposed to be this scholarly um, thing of telling you uh, that Mexicans worship degenerate um, gig and old ones and stuff. And this one is kind of like looks at how at least it doesn't say that the um, Romans, the Greek, and the um, and the Arabs worshipped um, these um, beings in lieu of their own gods, um, mainly because uh, if it, if it's originally written in Arabic then we're going to going to assume that that is going to be a Muslim origin. I think that's kind of part of the whole thing. Uh, yeah, 950 AD and stuff. So we're already talking uh, monotheistic religions, and, and we don't fuck with those and call Cthulhu for some reason. So right. having something with an Arabic origin, it's it's very common for something written in Arabic or Hebrew to be translated first into Greek and then into Latin. I mean, that's just how... The, that's how the Bible was translated. Um, and, and it never says that, like, Nyarlathotep uh, is Jesus. Right, right. Uh, but it does, like, try and explain how the entomology, is that etym- etymology, my fault, the etymology of some of the words that are used as names for these beings came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Azathoth, and they go through it, the the lineage and and a possible way of how that could have happened. And you know, if there's some, I don't speak any Arabic, Greek, or Latin, so I don't know how big the bullshit meter is on this. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, Azathoth, in both translation and inter- interpretation, means power of Nyarlathotep. I, I you know, okay, right. sure, sure. <laughs> you got me. Mm-hmm. Right. And it all and it all boils down to to Nyarlathotep being the um pretty much the primary entity. Uh we talk about they talk about a little bit about the dark young of uh Shub Nigaroth. Yeah, they really don't want that to be like a female deity, do they? They really want that to be like some title of like it just means parent, <laughs> right? Or 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 it being meaning itself dark young, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, I understand more what they're trying to do in this essay, and this essay makes more in game sense, and maybe that's why it's written like it was um, in in world, mm-hmm. uh, because this is kind of like the kind of stuff that you would like. Um, get if you made your library use role, right? Yeah, this is this is this is kind of interesting in that it's possibly of the two essays, it's probably the one that can be used uh, more easily <coughs> as written. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can always throw that key out there of you know it's you know, you stumble across a word 
and then comes the big reveal as you you know decipher it into English and and power of Nyarlathotep and suddenly you know you're like <gasps> it's Nyarlathotep. Dun, dun, dun. Then you know, you and you're then from there on you can metagame and make sanity rolls and stuff like that. Right. But yes. Uh, if you are thinking of getting a copy of this, like on eBay or something, because it's super out of print, um, you, I would recommend not reading the first essay mm. unless you want to piss yourself off. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, reading the second one. The second one does have useful in-game type information. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a timeline featuring a lot of uh, major events of key stories that influence... It's the role-playing game. It is strange what they decided to use for this timeline and what they left out. Mm -hmm. um, Naturally, all the key events of uh, Call of Cthulhu yeah, are in there. Call of Cthulhu is in there. Uh, Colorado Space is in there, which is kind of weird. Uh, like A lot of the revisions are in there. Curse of Yig, the Mound. Uh, was the Mound in there? Yeah, the mound was in there, but I don't think Kurt. Yeah, Curse of Yig, October 31st, 1889. Murder of Walker Davis by his crazed wife, Audrey, near Binger, Oklahoma. The Curse of Yig. Yeah. Now, at the Mounds of Madness is suspiciously not represented in this list. But Cold Air is. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? And and uh, no from beyond either. Yeah. Um. And it's it's, it's all Lovecraft stuff, isn't it? It's. Uh. It's yeah, Lovecraft or revision stuff. Mm -hmm. So you don't have any of the other works. You don't have Hound, Hounds of Tendalos. No, which it, which which is weird because later on you have um, the Bestiary. So you, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that a little bit in more in depth. But you have a um you know a in the rules book editions, they have uh, additional deities, races, and monsters for the mythos. And a lot of these are Clark Ashton Smith stuff, and there's some there's some Lovecraft stuff in there, but there's also um, it expands to other authors in here. Mm -hmm. and you don't see those other authors' uh, relevant works in here. So, for example, um, you I would think that you would have, and maybe just because it's like super prehistoric. Um, that you would have um, the seven Jesus would be in here because there's two of the things that appear in that are are in the are in, in the, the monster list, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, Clark Ashton Smith is is not represented. Um, Ramsey Campbell is not represented, even though he contributed in part to this work. Yeah, like I mean, so much. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned Cthonians. In here is that no, that's Brian Lumley. My fault. Brian Lumley's not on the list either. <laughs> right, Cthonians have a very uh, large entry in the uh, Necronomicon section. Yeah, so weird, weird what they just they decided to put in there and what they left out. It's kind of almost telling, and it, it could be that maybe they didn't have the rights to include that stuff, but eh, probably, probably. I mean, I don't know exactly what all the in, inner ins and outs of how uh, Chaosium was able to include all these further mythos creatures. And, and that timeline is Peterson. Sandy Peterson wrote that timeline. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's also no real mention of King and Yellow, but they kind of use a bastardized version of that anyway. Yeah. Um, now, after we, we do the... the um, the, the stuff on, on the language, we have, I guess, stuff to add to the source book. The original Call of Cthulhu came with a 1920s source book, which is, I guess, akin to the Investigator's Handbook. Um, it just was like uh, essays about prohibition, about travel, um, just flavor stuff that kind of gives you the feel of the times. So here we have some additions for for that and the first is a look at prisons <laughs> <laughs> well okay. it's not even really prisons it is it's a look at prison tropes 
Yeah, it, it really is. It's um so and I, I understand completely why they put this in here because a lot of the shit you do when you play Call of Cthulhu is illegal. Mm-hmm. And and you can go to jail. If you get caught and you have a keeper who's like that, you can go to jail. Right. Uh you know, grave robbing is frowned upon. So there you go. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, we played a little bit of uh, Cthulhu Invictus last night, and we're about to do some breaking and entering, and there's a very good chance that we'll go to jail. Possibly, yes. So I understand why you would want to have um, information about prisons, because let's face it, most of the people who in 1983, 84, who played role-playing games were pretty far away from going to prison mm-hmm. <laughs> but and and your, your i guess your exposure to prison is going to be through movies such as cool hand luke and right uh, longest yard long right and what was the one with richard pryor the best one um not busting loose it was uh it was the other one that he did stir crazy yeah stir crazy greatest prison film ever made right now when we talk about we talk about prison tropes um there is what's represented is the uh alcatraz type um prison in in big house penitentiary which is almost black gate (laughs) yeah i mean it's like this is a double walled prison on an island (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean that that is alcatraz Right, you're making you're making license plates. Um, you know yeah. the guards are all brutal. Uh, you know you don't get telephone privileges or anything like that. It's just this is where the worst of the worst of the worst go. Uh, right. There's no psychiatric treatment yeah. or anything like that, and you know people are arranged in cell blocks according to the severity of their crime. Mm-hmm. But pretty much, there's gangs. Know, there's gangs. Brings relative immunity from day-to-day identity frustration, but makes members liable to lethal encounters with other gangs and with guards. Right. Like, so you go to prison, but you also have uh, Cool Hand Luke. You have the Wazer County Work Farm. Yep. <coughs> you have that. You have um, a British prison, the Death Oak Prison. Mm-hmm. H.M. His Majesty's or Her Majesty's Death Oak Prison. I swear, if you're upper class, it's like going right. to the country club. Right. If you're if you have upper if you're upper class, you can have a comfortable cell with a valet <laughs> with servants and you know bonbons. <laughs> well, it's um, like the king, kingpin in, in season three of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, you have you have your working relationships. Like I'm going to use the phone or, now. Or good, good fellows, like good fellows. Remember, was that that was good fellows, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, pretty much all you know, um, prison movies with a with an extremely powerful villain. Yeah. Uh, then you have your Latin American prison, Santa yep. Prisna, where they make venom. Where you could be born in prison. I mean, re- seriously. Right. And uh, yeah. and they rounded out with a uh, North African slash Middle East hellhole. Right. So it's it's really like the lesson here is don't go to prison if you're playing Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> but honestly, I could see where you want to have prison information but only if you're actually going to have like something set in in a prison environment right something something like farmington correctional right do you really need to role play a 25-year sentence in prison if nothing's going to happen there right exactly because because yeah a lot of these these crimes of the time because because you know just speaking about our games you know we've we've uh breaking and entering arson murder uh, those you know, petty theft, grand theft. I mean, yeah, I think though, if we were ever actually convicted of any of these crimes, our rap sheets would be huge, right? Oh, yeah, well, just and, and we would go to jail, 
our characters would go to jail and and be in jail for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, you could, I guess you could try a prison break kind of thing, but I mean, that's really not the the gist of the game, right? I mean, I if like you were sent to prison and you had say a color out of space in the prison, that would be kind of cool, you know. Or if there's a gang of deep ones in the prison, mm-hmm. you know. Or if uh, you go undercover in the prison to expose a, a cult run by the warden, right, or something like that. Exper- mad experiments. A lot of a lot of potential for prison adventures in pulp, right? But just to have prison information in because your characters might go to prison. I mean, at that point, you're either breaking them out or you're rolling another character. Right. Right. I mean, you know, it's just like just like the asylum. You know, if you're in a mental institution, uh, you know, yeah, sure, you could probably break out. But chances are, if your character goes into a mental institution in Call of Cthulhu, they're going to be staying there for a while. Right. Yeah. So that's the prisons. Um, then there's like a a section um, just that reiterates the two new skills, photography, and our first appearance of lockpicking. Right, later to be called locksmith. Yes, which is actually, it is, can also be referred to as locksmithing in here. But yes, a, a skill that is actually really can really good to have. Right, and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, curious as to why it was, wasn't included to begin with. Let's find out. <laughs> Sorry. Um... Steve runs back to the archives, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I just happen to have a copy of Call of Cthulhu. First edition? First edition from back when I was a pup, 1981. This is my copy. Um, skills. So what kind of skills? Because I would say it's a knowledge skill, right? Uh, yeah, it's not in here, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you would maybe law, use law. I mean, you could always fudge stuff. All right, you may dirty roll. Yeah. So, keep this for reference, because there's like some stuff. The thing about this source book is you got to remember when it was written. Uh, what, what we say, 1984? 1983. 1983. To add to a book that was published in 1981. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff has actually been absorbed into later editions. Maybe not the prison stuff. And maybe not like the Mesoamerican stuff. But like the, the skills, most certainly have. Right. Um, the timeline... Most certainly has. And these rules book editions, which is the next big thing, um, there is a huge list of phobias. Oh, yes. Um, And and there's some choice bits in there. Well, I mean, it's just like crappy flavor text. (laughs) Right. Yeah, who wrote the the phobias part? Because it's just like, we'll read you a couple of them. Just like, wow. Yeah, that's Glenn Rahman uh, wrote that. Right, which who you had mentioned was like a a, a famous guy, right? Uh, no, I think the, I think our inside source may have mentioned that. Okay, he wrote sword and sandal books. Oh no, that was tyranny. Oh, okay, my fault. My fault. Ignore me. That's okay. We'll just edit this out later. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, we have we have a lot of very interesting, and it looks like somebody went through uh, like the the DSM of the time. <laughs> it really does. It's like uh, I, I I just need this phobias because right. yeah, I mean sanity. Honestly, sanity is a big mechanic in Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Always has been. It was like the, the it's the centerpiece of the game, really. Right. And not a lot of people are insane. Um, so really, how does one deal with that? 
Right. Exactly. And, um, and there's not a lot, unless you are a, well, I mean, the type of madness that's present in the Cthulhu mythos stories is not really something that you can, um, describe in terms of psychiatric medicine. No, there's 15 uh, phobias listed in the original rule book. Right, and then they, this is what? Uh, this is an additional lot. Right, it's a lot. We didn't actually count them. Yeah, so uh, and we have like such gems as um, bathophobia, fear of depth, out of the deepest reaches of the sea, monsters swim. Out of the deepest wells, monsters crawl. Dig deep enough and you will unearth loathsome horrors better left hidden. Space is deep. Space is alive with festering monsters. Even your own cellar proves too deep, probes too deeply into the bowels of the earth. Never go into a subway. So, it, yeah, it's all the flavored text is written by a guy who uh, read about these things in in a magazine right right or, or how can i relate um ergophobia to call cthulhu right or botanophobia fear of right. plants right okay so, so it's like are you gonna have to do a sanity roll when you go to a restaurant and you get a salad uh yeah actually you do but how many people do that? <laughs> right. I, I, you know, I don't go out much, but uh, I have never seen anyone go. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, that salad really is causing me anxiety right now. Well, I mean, there's the whole romaine lettuce thing, so there you go. All right. That's true. Does that have romaine in it? Romaine. My my favorite on here is phobophobia. Fear of fear. Fear, fear of one's own fears. <laughs> yeah. Or. Nucleomidophobia, fear of nuclear weapons. Yeah, for modern, suitable only for late 20th century investigators. Mm. Uh, fear of rain. Yeah, um, it's kind of it's it's cool. You you need something like that, and you know, you, you, far be it from a keeper just to say you were just attacked by you know a fifty foot. Um, slimy thing with tentacles. You have a fear of of um, you know liquids, right? Because <laughs> right. it's you know you want to you want to try and make it appropriate, but now because it's called a Cthulhu and everybody is like anal about authenticity in this game, you have to have the actual name for the phobia. Well, um, but but in a lot of cases, the the insanity is randomly generated and that's that's another thing as well is you know you encounter the squam squamous tentacle entity from the depth uh you have acrophobia now right uh i think like, the but, random aspect of that is my personal theory is they just made this list so huge mm -hmm. that uh and it's all in latin you know it's right. all latin and greek right um yeah. That rolling it randomly is a time saver as opposed to um, looking up, you know, what the thing would actually be called. Or just making it a role-playing element of the character. Right. You know, this is, this is the result of your mental trauma. Yeah. I mean, that's much, much cooler to do anyway. A keeper, a keeper shortcut rather than uh, for, so the keeper doesn't actually have to take time and create a narrative reason right well it. i mean it's 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 a lot easier to take time and create that narrative reason in in a week off of you know where you get to think about it than on the fly mm -hmm. well that's true that's true and which is which is why usually when when you guys end up going insane like that i tell you what happens the next time because i could like think about it and try and mm -hmm. figure out what would make sense as right. opposed to randomly rolling oh yeah you're afraid of cats right and randomly rolling also <laughs> but we're, uh, we're underwater <laughs> right and and randomly rolling and an, an insanity kind of takes away from potential player and keeper interaction as well you know because you get you can pull the player in and say look you know you 
you've contracted this uh, indefinite insanity, you know, well, this is what I'm thinking it is. You know, how, how do you, how would you play that out? Right. Yeah. And that works out really well. Um, particularly in a, in a situation like microphones of madness where, you know, we, we are, you know, have a lot of role playing going on and that being the, one of the central pieces of what we do. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I think, you know, over to my character would do it this way. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's, it's definitely keep a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Also, I you got to think that back in 1983, um, there wasn't as much of a emphasis on the role playing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was certainly it wasn't a dungeon crawl like its uh, cousin was at that point in time. Right, right. Um, but it, it certainly um, wasn't a lot of role playing. Um, you know, I think the 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 uh, role playing aspect of it, um, you know, acting part of it is relatively more new mm-hmm. um, than than um, back in the day. I mean, I just look at what what the source book is is this is is giving you. Mm-hmm. It's giving you new monsters, new phobias. It's um, you know giving you research information, and these are you know prisons and and. This is like the focus of the game. It, it is to react to the things that that are thrown your way, right? Um, which is, you know, you still do that, but now you do it with panache. Panache, right? And and you know, probably the one thing that sets Call of Cthulhu apart from you know Dungeons and Dragons is that Call of Cthulhu, if you're running the same characters, and generally speaking, you know. It, especially i would say especially back in these days you're not meant to be running campaigns with the same characters in multiple adventures it's usually you know your character is done hung out to dry at the end of the you know first adventure so yeah, next time I mean, we play roll up new characters yeah and and call of cthulhu characters are quick and easy to roll mm-hmm. it, it's not it you know, 15, 20 minutes tops. But as we were saying in our discussion of Servants of the Lake, you know, it, it, it's fun to have characters that do um, continue on, continue on this, this path of discovery over a series of adventures and have, have uh, what they encounter permanently affect them. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's Sorry, Steve. That's not you. It's me. <laughs> um, the last thing that they that the source booky part. Well, it's not the last. What's the last useful thing? Are the uh, the additional deities, races, and monsters for the Cthulhu mythos? Right. You have a a, a bunch of Clark Ashton Smith stuff. Um, some some Durlith stuff, I think. Um, a bunch of Dreamland stuff. Um, I guess Peterson, Sandy Peterson, did the Dreamland stuff, and I, I wonder if he was like gearing up for that that uh, supplement because uh, I don't know when that came out, but there was a Dreamland guide for um, early edition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which has a lot of these things in it, and and the original uh, Call of Cthulhu is sadly lacking in 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 a bestiary of yeah. sorts. Yes, yeah, you have a lot of this, a lot of these things, and a lot of these creatures, if not all of them, have made their way into the core rulebook as of seventh edition. Oh yeah. Um. And some of these are just classic monsters. Yeah, there's no Zooks in here. There's no Zooks. But you have you have Gasts, uh, Gugs. Yeah, get on those Zooks, Mike Mason. No, no, I think Zooks are in the current oh. one. Just not oh, okay. This one. Uh, Gas and Gugs and uh, oh, the uh, the Leogor. 
um, yep. makes, which is a very popular Call of Cthulhu thing in Moon Beasts. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, um, Atlak Nacha, yep. big spider that tells um, tells the protagonist and the seven deadly Jishas to go on. And then um, Aboth, the final the final boss of the Gishas, mm -hmm. is there. So, uh, really good things to throw at your players. Uh, they have like that one. What's the one thing that it's like? What the hell? It might have been. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Saiga. You say big eyes surrounded by tentacles. That has the power to. Um... Oh no, that's not the one. That that's like the big eye. But this uh, the Gasanotha, mm -hmm. Gasanothoa, which basically uh, turns you into a living statue with your brain still working. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's like some gruesome shit in here. Yeah. Gruesome shit. Enough enough gruesome things to make that uh, list of phobias to be kind of moot. That's right. Because it doesn't matter if you... Uh, yeah. You could be afraid of all the, all the cats in the world. Right. If you're a living <laughs> statue, it doesn't really matter much. Well, I mean, I guess it's even more torture if, like, let's say you're this living statue and you're, you have a fear of pigeon shit. You're a living statue <laughs> in uh, Ulthar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so good stuff. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at the at the current crop of um, Call of Cthulhu beasties and stuff, um, a lot of the text that you that you read now is this text mm -hmm. that um, was written, you know, in 1983. Right. Which is now, really cool. Yes, it is really cool that uh, a lot of this stuff... One of the things that the more recent editions have added... Uh, that is not featured in this particular book is where that creature made its first appearance. Yes. Uh, what story? And there's usually an excerpt of the story. They did that in a couple of these. They did mm -hmm. that in, in a, it was mainly the Lovecraft stuff. Uh, right. Well, you know what it was? It's the stuff that Sandy did. Um, so it's um, the Gugs, the Gasts, Moonbeast. Yeah, Moonbeast. Yeah, it's all the Dreamland stuff that, that Sandy wrote is, is where you get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense because Sandy's the one who did it in the original book. And you have that in the original book as well. Um, if you look at the... Which is which is really nice, particularly for a keeper because well, you can always go through and... Actually, I'm and lying. That. I'm lying. You're lying? You, you don't have that. You have that in some of it. Um, like the Mego... Night Gaunts, but you don't have it for other stuff. Like Nyarlathotep doesn't get his. But then Nyarlathotep really, well, maybe. Uh, Nyarlathotep can look like whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah, so it's. I guess it's kind of consistent with the with the uh, rule book. Some mm -hmm. of them do, some of them don't. But yeah, now they all do. Now, right. Now, yeah, now you have like a little bit of um, like the original text, description, stat blocks, attacks, and an illustration. They're all illustrated. Mm -hmm. Which is always nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean you can you can tell your players what you're what they're facing. Because sometimes, you know, you gotta have that illustration because the authors, you know, in describing these creatures would use uh rather arcane adjectives. Well, also when let's say you're like tooling around and you and you know, and then you turn the corner, and it was a paw, fully two feet and a half across, and equipped with formidable talons. After it came another paw, and after that, a mm -hmm. great blackford arm to which both of the paws were attached by short forearms. I mean, you don't want to have to read Lovecraft's text to describe the gug every time, and the gug isn't going to be like coming out of a hole every time, right. So, I mean, it, nice to have what it looks like so you can, like, describe it and what it's doing. Mm -hmm. Or Absolutely. not after the sanity roll has failed. 
right exactly say you can't look at it directly <laughs> your <laughs> eyes slide right off of it right which brings us to the final section we're going to examine today excerpts and prayers um so you have uh this is pretty much an entire section devoted to flavor text yeah this is really just um excerpts from different stories written by Lovecraft. And uh, I tried to play the game to see if I could recognize it. And I got most of them right. You have like Lovecraft, obviously. You have like um, stuff from the festival. Uh, Wish of Darkness, I think, made it. Uh, Dunwich Horror. And then you have... Um, uh, Necronomicon. Yeah, but it's all like from stories and stuff. Right. Right. You have you have a couple of that are like just fragmentary ritual or prayer to the great old ones. Yeah, I mean you, you know, have old... like the the, the Migo, the 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 voice cylinder, the record play from the record in um Whisper in Darkness, where you have the Migo at their ritual. Mm -hmm. So it's actually the, the, the text, which is supposed to be like what they're listening to. Right, right. But it's just written as a fragmentary ritual or prayer to the great old ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it was. Yeah. And that that's to establish like that dramatic moment. Yeah, and, and really what, what like a lot of this does is it kind of, maybe it's not useful in-game, but it kind of gives you that reminder of what that style of storytelling is like. Mm -hmm. Right, right, because, you know, a lot of this stuff is either obscure or was out of print long before a lot of people picked up this book. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot less Lovecraft available at the time um, than there is now. And I mean, now it's just like you can't turn around without bumping into a fucking tentacle. But, um, you know, back then you had like out of print editions, like the, the, the Del Rey editions were just coming out, but that was no, by no means complete. Um, but even then, it was like you, it wasn't as rich of a, of a, the stuff like from movies and books and and you know years and years of this game um you had very little to go on and a lot of the games were supposed to be um investigative where you would be to, to like just going to the library and and reading ancient texts and then you'd come across something that is fragmentary and be and would you know, you'd read it to them. The secrets of the monstrous primal, primal ones were whose cryptic words relate to the hidden things that were before man. And you'd read that stuff, and then, you know, that'd be, you'd give the handout, and that'd be what your players got. Right. Correlate right. the fucking contents, bitch. Right, and that would be, that would be the, really the kind of, like, initial revelation. I mean, once you find that information, you know, the end is not too not too far away right so so i mean it, it kind of gives you like that that the style that because it's definitely a distinct style of, of writing these these old ancient tomb tomes tombs 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 is the vulture right <laughs> i thought this was the anti-gravity gun <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so I think it's useful, um, probably a lot more useful in 1983. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely has like a couple of big flaws. Right. It it has it it does have its flaws, um, and there are little tidbits that you can get in and out. Um, so and and. Like we said, there's uh, some poetry at the end. We never actually analyze poetry or anything, so yeah, we skip poetry because we suck, right? But uh, you know, and there's how many how many scenarios in this book? Three. There's four. There's I actually four. like 
I hate, I'll, I'll admit it right here, right now. I actually like Lovecraft's poetry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually think his poetry is better than his prose. Uh, my favorite thing he wrote is the fun guy from Yoga. Uh, you know, you can kick me down the road and uh, turn in my like street cred or whatever, but that's actually more, and I don't like poetry. That to me, that's actually evokes like that ominous, creepy feeling to me better than uh, indescribably describable things. Right. Or describing describable indescribable things yeah i mean we could still not analyze poetry because i'm i'm totally about not analyzing poetry. right <laughs> no that's fine that's fine um yeah i kind of miss uh these types of books uh where you got a little bit of uh interesting setting information and then you got an adventure and stuff like that these things that expand on you know the world and not a not a it has to be this way sort of thing, but it's information to give you ideas. Yeah. Chaosium did a lot of that back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. Like a lot, of, a lot of the original RuneQuest stuff was like that, where it'd be like a source book as mm -hmm. opposed to um, a module. Like D&D was all about modules. Right. Like it, they just like churn those suckers out. Right, right. And the closest thing you would get to a source book would be uh, one of setting boxes. Yeah. Which isn't really more, I guess that is a source book, but it's not as, um, this is so much more open-ended. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we, we joke and complain, but like, if you do need um, big ass prison, right. That gives you a, a, not a great idea, but a pretty like rough edged idea that you can work with. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I could see I could see the big house penitentiary off the coast of Arkham. Big yeah. house penitentiary, not big ass prison. Right. <laughs> big, big ass prison. That's that's down south. No, that was the uh, work farm. That was the cool hand Luke prison. Right. Right. Located 13 miles outside Dunwich. <laughs> I can eat 50 eggs. Right. That would be for Cthulhu Hand Luke. Cthulhu Hand Luke. Oh. That's not mine. That's a Facebook page. Yeah. Cthulhu right. Hand Luke. So, yeah, there's our look at the first half of uh, the Cthulhu Companion, the classic source book from Chaosium 1983 for the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. Um, we'll be back next week to check out the second half, but real quick, uh, just to give a plug for, you know, some uh, friends of the show, uh, the good friends of Jackson Elias uh, did a short series of episodes based around sanity and the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. So um, we delved into the topic a little bit this episode, but if you want a little more detail, check out uh, Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Right. And I guess we should also plug uh, Oscar Rios and Golden Goblin Press. Mm -hmm. um, Oscar was kind enough to uh, run a scenario for us last night, um, which will probably be out after you hear this weird timey-wimey shit. Um, but, yeah, so if you uh, like... like uh, Call of Cthulhu, and you're looking to expand your Call of Cthulhu Horizons, there's Cthulhu Invictus, um, there's other products that that uh, Oscar and Golden Goblin Press has for Call of Cthulhu, and so you should go and check that out, uh, Golden Goblin Press. Yep, and Oscar's a great guy, we had a lot of fun with him. Yeah, Oscar's great, you should definitely support him. And he had a lot of fun with us, apparently. <laughs> yeah, support Oscar's efforts. Absolutely. Go, go Mets. <laughs> <laughs> and without further ado, until next time, keep 30, keep 30 luck points. Keep 30 luck points.